Curious Conversations About Sex is brought to you by Curious Creatures, who run a variety of workshops on self-development and sexuality in Australia. My name is Rog. Today, I'm chatting with Georgie Wolfe, who's written a book called The Art of the Hookup. In my opinion, it's a radical read, and it's got the potential to really positively influence the way the dating game plays out, also sex and relationships more generally. Uh, Stay tuned at the end of the show. I'm going to try something new and respond to some feedback I received regarding a previous episode. But for now, let's have a conversation about sex with Georgie Wolfe. Hi, Georgie. Welcome in. Hi, Rog. Your book sounds like a book that's about the art of picking up or some such, um, but it actually feels to me like it's at least sort of 50% self-development and related topics. Um, What's with that? Well, you know what? It is actually totally about hooking up. The problem is that I've discovered that actually negotiating a good hookup and having good sex has so much to do with yourself and very little to do with actually picking up. So the amount of personal development I've had to do to get to the point where I'm actually having good sex is massive. Um, yeah, so I think that the way to attack that problem is to work on yourself and not to work on the hooking up as much. Mm. Um, it's a bit of a radical departure from popular ideas of, I want to say, like pickup culture. Yeah, totally. In terms of like normally when you go for advice on how do I get dates or how do I get better at Tinder or how do I meet people at pubs, um, Okay, so I haven't dived heavily into that world, but I feel like it's mostly stuff on presentation or excellent opening lines or ways to influence and manipulate the other person. So I sort of feel like traditionally picking up has been about trying to convince or trick or push someone else into sleeping with you. And that comes from our shitty sort of like sex negative culture that sort of says that people, particularly women, are only going to sleep with you if you trick them into it or if you push them into it. Um, And, you know, that's a really... It's a crappy way to go around picking people up. Um, But also it doesn't really work very well. But most of the stuff that's out there around picking up um, is about uh, working on the other person, so overcoming their objections or making yourself look more attractive to them. Very little of it actually concentrates on changing yourself or making yourself a better prospect. Mm. And that's a real shame because I think that's where the gold is when it comes to other people finding you attractive. It's a very fraught approach, the mainstream one, because if you do manage to trick someone into taking their clothes off for you, um, you've got that sense in the back of your mind that they're not actually genuinely there for yourself. You'd be spotting in them, like even if you're not trained in psychology or whatever else, you'd be spotting in them all of the signs of uncertainty or nervousness or something being not quite right. would feel like things could fall apart and end at any moment and you don't know for sure whether they're there for you. So it's almost like if you then let yourself out, are they going to run away? It's sort of unsatisfying because the whole time you're wondering if they really want to be there in the first place. If you've put a lot of effort into picking someone up to the point where you've pushed them into it, then of course you're going to be wondering all the way through actually doing the deed whether they really want to be there because maybe they don't. Yeah. Uh, that's, and that's uncomfortable. And certainly chatting to a lot of people who've come out of like casual sex sort of experiences uh, that weren't that great, and saying, look, you know, I just, it didn't feel great. It didn't work. Or it, the whole time I just felt anxious. And I think that's what happens when you, uh, when you hook up with someone where you haven't really felt into the whole thing. And when you are pushing or you are putting yourself out somewhere you shouldn't be, it's going to feel uncertain and it's going to feel unpleasant. 
Yeah. Um, and I guess even if you've managed to convince yourself that what you're doing is not manipulating or tricking someone into sleeping with you, on some level you sort of know that that's sort of part of what you've been doing. And so on some level that has to feel shit. Like you know when you've been a bad person or doing things slightly wrong. And it just doesn't strike me as a joyous form of sex. To be honest, I just don't think that we're, we're trained to recognise what good sex looks like. So we do go out and we do see someone hot and go, yeah, I just want to bang them and I don't really care how. And then we do it and then we come home and then we feel a bit shit the next day and we think that that's how sex is supposed to be. We think that we're supposed to go out and get drunk and hook up and come home and feel guilty. Like for a lot of people, that's the standard way of doing things. That's as good as it gets. That's as good as it gets. And it wouldn't occur to anyone that it's possible to go out and hook up and have a really good time and then come home and not feel guilty about yourself or feel like you've used someone else. Most people, uh, for most people... That's the way you do it. You either use someone else or you put yourself in a situation where you feel crappy afterwards. God, I feel like you just summed up why people have such ambivalence around sex. Like, because actually sometimes it feels really horrible. And I've yeah. been there too, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. This isn't pointing the finger at anyone. I think we've all done it. We've all rushed out oh and, God, yeah. and pushed someone or we've all rushed out and yeah. put ourselves in situations and afterwards felt guilty and we've all had day after shame and struggled with that. But I guess what this project is about is illustrating that it doesn't have to be the only way to do it, mm. that that shouldn't be the default, that we shouldn't be doing that. So there's a way of being which is counterposed to this, which um, doesn't carry with it the guilt and the shame and the sense of coercion and manipulation. What's it feel like, the difference between those two states? So while you're, you're saying this, I'm actually thinking back and I'm trying to remember the first time that I actually had a casual up experience that was actually that and not the other bad way and I can't remember the exact time that it changed but I think it was around the time I started going to workshops and really working on myself and also around the time that I started doing sex work because that's a really good practice for getting to know people and then walking away and not beating yourself up about it it's really important if you're going to do sex for a job that you can go in there have fun and then walk away without getting all, uh, you know, discombobulated or feeling guilty the next day because you couldn't do your job. Yeah, I guess you, you need to learn the skill of being genuinely present but then able to genuinely switch off. Yeah. And the skills to look after other people so that when you leave you don't feel like you've taken advantage of or used someone else. Yeah. Um, otherwise it's just not sustainable. So what was it like that first moment where you realised that you were free to do it the new way? <sighs> I think I... It probably took a while to process, to be honest. There's probably a lot of doubt around, wow, this feels so much better, but why? Like, why is this different? What am I doing differently? And then a long time of thinking about what it is that actually makes good sex good and why when, when I have good sex, it doesn't come with all these crappy feelings afterwards. And I, you know, I picked it apart a bit and I sat down and went, okay, here's what happened. You know, I, we talked about it beforehand or, oh, hey, we talked about our safer sex standards beforehand or, you know, we talked about what sort of relationship we might want or we, we agreed that we'd never see each other again and it was just really nice to, to know all these things. Um, and then finding all those little things that tend to ensure a good encounter and to be honest, most of it is talking beforehand or <laughs> talking during or talking afterwards yeah. and then trying to put them all together and discovering that when you stack these skills on top of each other, your experiences just get better and better and better. Mm. It's funny, I think for me the first time I remember that difference. Firstly, I must say I really agree with what you say about we have all been that person, every one of mm -hmm. us. We were all growing up in this like manipulative, coercive, um, shut your eyes, cross your fingers and hope for the best approach to sexuality. Um, with a big thank you to the Bible and related religious institutions for giving us that background. I was using ironic font there. 
The first time I can remember stepping outside of that, I think, was the two-minute game, which we speak about on this podcast quite a bit, and you and I have spoken about quite a bit, Um, because it's that first moment where um, I realise that what's going on is just absolutely agreed to and consented to, and is also wanted, congruently, enthusiastically wanted. I have that first moment as the person giving touch, where I realise that um, this is exactly what the other person wants, and oh my God, there's a freedom in that. Isn't it incredible when you're having sex with someone and you actually know that they're enjoying themselves? With absolute certainty. With absolute certainty rather than just having to be thinking, I don't know if this is okay, but I'm just going to keep going. Mm. Removing that is so nice, oh. uh, but it just doesn't happen by itself. You do have to open your mouth, and that, that is probably the biggest thing that I learned. You do have to talk. <laughs> At the risk of overshare and perhaps something I'll edit out later. One of my favourite kinks. Ah, yeah. Hi, historical Rog. Uh, This is future Rog. Uh, Sorry, nah, that bit's staying in. And perhaps something I'll edit out later. One of my favourite kinks is fucking with someone, and I am talking now about fucky-fucky sex, so something like penetration, and looking into their eyes and saying something like, yes, you can fuck me, I want you to fuck me, I'm loving being fucked by you right now, please fuck me, please fuck me. (laughs) <laughs> or, or the vice versa of that. I just like getting off on the clarity of that. And I realise I'm just clicking undo on decades of shitty behaviour and shitty mainstream culture. I have a feeling that there are so many people out there that just really need to hear that, and that if they heard that during sex, they would be able to relax because we get so anxious about whether we're doing the right thing in the sack uh, and then we're scared to mention that we're anxious in case our partner thinks we're a loser. And so we're just winging it, basically, and really, really hoping that our partner doesn't notice that we're not a fucking mind reader. Yes, it's very complicated. Um, like, just, just the act of fucking in particular, since you're both attempting to um, please the other person, which is not always an easy thing in itself, and you're hoping that they think you're all right, um, and you're wondering if they think you're looking all right, and, and so forth. And somewhere in amongst that, you're meant to also be able to find your own pleasure um, and be calm and relaxed and, and, and happy. Um, who came up with that? Who came up who with that? Who designed this? It seems ridiculous. <laughs> this who is des- a design flaw. <laughs> at, the, at least, who gave us that skill, the ability to fuck and play and so forth, without giving us communication skills? That just seems like gross negligence. I would love to know who came up with the idea that we should all know how to do sex automatically, that we're not allowed to talk about it, and that if we get something wrong, we're terrible people. I would love to know who came up with that because it's literally ruined everyone's sex life. We're too scared to ask. We're too scared to offer information. If we do something wrong, we feel like we should in bed or we're failures or we're bad men or we're bad people. Um, and it's just like a it's, a it's a losing proposition. There's no way out of this. It's like a catch-22. You're just setting yourself up to fail. Mm, yes. And would it be fair to say that this is where your book starts to feel somewhat like self-development because much of it is geared around undoing those messages and those ideas? Yeah, definitely. So I think to have good casual sex, we do need to unpick a lot of the um, a lot of the basic assumptions a lot of people make about sex in general. So I'll get on Tinder, for example, quite a lot in the name of research, of course. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, and I'll talk to a lot of guys and often because I state explicitly on my profile that I'm only there for hookups, I talk to a lot of guys who are really confused about how you should treat someone that says they're there for casual sex. And this isn't a man thing, this isn't everyone thing, but it's because I'm mostly speaking to guys on Tinder and they're really confused. They're like, uh, they want to get really sleazy and they're not really interested in who I am as a person. I stop and say, hang on, but if you want to have sex with someone, you want to have sex with the person, right? So you should want to get to know the person. And they're like, oh, but if it's just casual sex, 
that means that I shouldn't put any effort in. And it, there's this disconnect. There's this idea that if you're having a romantic relationship, it means that you should invest in the person and be interested in them and look after them, be nice to them. And if you're having casual sex, then you can just treat that person like shit because it's just casual sex, so who cares anyway? And I think a lot of people are shooting themselves in the foot that way because their sex is bad because when you treat your casual sex partner like a sex object, you have very bad sex. Yeah, and I guess some of this comes out of monogamy culture. I'm not down on monogamy, but there is a perspective that um, the your long-term single chosen partner is the one you care about and have caring sex with, and everyone else is just like disposable trash on the way. Dan Savage calls this the Madonna whore complex. So he talks about guys who... Uh, there are two types of women to them. The, the woman you marry, which is the one that you treat well and um, gently, and then the, the mistress that you fuck, which is the one that you just treat like shit, but that you do all the sexy, dirty things that you really want to do with. Um, I, don't, I don't think this is a guy thing. I think yeah, this is I across think, the board. I think this needs to be gendered. I'm, nope. I'm here in the flip of that as you speak. I think everyone has this tendency to see casual sex partners as disposable, um, which is shit. It's a shit way to treat people, but it's also going to destroy your sex life because if you're not engaging and connecting with the person you're having sex with, you're having bad sex. So, like, you know, what's the point? I've had a very small number of successful Tinder dates in my time. Like, I haven't dabbled in that forum a great deal, but one of them in particular I can remember um, who was very good at going for casual sex but doing it in a really meaningful way. They were actually in a carer situation, so their time was just very much not available uh, and so when they were free, they wanted to have meaningful interaction and sex and so forth. Uh, they made the same complaint just around um, people assume that uh, just casual passing sex should be not emotionally engaged or connected and you shouldn't show a lot of care for the person that's there. And they were saying they just love falling in love with someone for like three or four or six hours and then um, that being it, and maybe you see them again, maybe you, you don't, that wasn't the important part. But the thing that they loved about it was just being intimate and falling in love with someone briefly. I've had a couple of experiences like that. Once was when I was at a festival in Queensland and once when I was overseas and we both knew that we were never going to see each other again after that night. Uh, but we sat and talked for hours and we had this amazing connection and then we had really great sex and then we just went our separate ways and that's a whole experience. It's not just, oh, yeah, I got laid. It's I met this person that were really interesting and uh, we talked about amazing things and I learned things and then we had sex and the sex was great because we'd spent that time connecting. And then we parted mutually under mutually agreeable circumstances and that's an experience that I'll always remember. And I think having these little like mini relationships is a really wonderful way to connect with people that you wouldn't have the chance to normally. I'm not going to date someone overseas or someone that lives in Queensland, but I sure as hell can have a one-night stand with them and take away some of that glorious sort of joy of getting to know a new person. I like playing Q&A with people and one of the questions that often comes up is like, what's been a memorable standout? Uh, sexual experience for you and it's amazing how many people have an answer which relates to what you might call a one-night stand or just a one-off exchange with someone um, and it certainly wasn't the um, um, dismissive rudeness of the exchange that they talk about it's the beautiful connection and intimacy and um, out of this world connection that was there just for a little bit I sort of feel like there's some freedom there too and I hear this a lot with people who see sex workers and also people who are kinky. If you've been in a long-term relationship, things become quite uh, 
quite heavy. If you need to come out with something like, darling, I'd really love to start trying BDSM or I'd like to start having sex differently, you're risking a lot by bringing that into the conversation. And so it can be, get quite hard to try new things or to change things up because you're introducing a bit of chaos into something that, that also needs to be stable. Whereas when you have a one-night stand with someone or you hook up a few times with someone, the, the risk is much lower of... Um, rocking the boat. So you can say, hey, let's try this crazy thing I saw in porn recently, or uh, what do you think about this kink? Uh, if they turn you down, the stakes are a lot lower. Uh, and if you have a good experience, then everyone wins. So it sort of works out quite well. Um, and I sort of feel like a lot of my casual sex experiences have been like that, where I've had the chance to really push the boundaries in a way that maybe I'd feel a bit less comfortable doing so adventurously in a long-term relationship. Speaks mm. also to the importance of setting up the culture in a long-term relationship where you're free to ask for what you want and not be shamed for it. Uh, yeah, I think that that in itself is a lot of the reason why sex tends to drop away in long-term relationships over time. And this is your department, right? Uh, Knowing how to keep that, keep that stuff in there. Whereas in my experience, particularly with work, a lot of clients have just completely lost the ability to negotiate anything new in their sexual lives in their marriages or relationships. And that's a real tragedy also. What would you say to the person that says, meh, I don't really need all of this uh, self-development and psychology stuff, I just need more pussy or dick or whatever? Look, tons of people out there that feel that way and lots of people that might read my stuff and go, oh, geez, that's not for me, that's not going to work for me. And I'm like, yeah, mate, go for it, but you don't know what you're missing out on. And that's cool, but you don't know what you're missing out on. This, this stuff is worth putting the work in. Um, and I know we're not, we're not brought up to work on ourselves. And I know that particularly guys in our culture are taught that to think too hard about your feelings or your self-development, it's, it's a little bit frowned on. And that's a tragedy because that's where the good shit is. If you want to really have good sex, um, that's how it's going to happen for you. Cool. You're sort of saying, well, you know, what I'm offering you here is the best sex of your life. Yeah, you can, you can take it or leave it. It's your, your call, buddy. It's always our own call. Um, there is a sense out there that um, it's generally men that don't already have these skills and that some men do. Um, do you tend to agree with that in the first place? And if you do, I don't know, what's going on with that? Do you think men are just socially um, not as intelligent as women? I'm wary of overgeneralizing in this area. I think there's a huge, particularly at this time in history, we have a huge spectrum of level of ability and self-awareness and skills around sex. Everything from um, someone who's done all their research, they've, you know, they've read Sex at Dawn, they've read The Ethical Slut, they've gone to workshops, they're working on themselves, even if they're not quite there yet, because none of us are quite there yet, to be honest. Um, so that, that happens all the way through to people who you know, don't get trans things and think that kink is like really wrong and that no one should ever do anything like that, um, who are just completely resistant to doing anything apart from missionary, non-monogamy, all that stuff. Um, and it's really hard to characterise anyone because it, it's a huge spectrum and you never know who you're going to meet, particularly if you're hooking up online and that sort of thing. You might you might learn someone that's incredible and has done all this work on themselves emotionally and you might end up with someone who's uh, insecure, terrified, angry, repressed. Uh, it's a bit of a lottery and it's just down to your cultural background, how you were raised, your traumas, all that stuff. Yeah, and socialisation's got so much to do with it. Um, I know for myself I realised that uh, in my younger years, having been socialised male, I had to make a real effort to go out and get 
social skills, psychological skills, meaningful friendships and so forth. They just weren't part of the mix. In the same way, perhaps, just to, I don't know, attempt to gender flip this, if you're a socialised female, you're going to have to make more of an effort to go out and get skills in power tools and car repair, perhaps. Um, yeah, I think, I think men don't realise that um, those particular skill sets around some of that social stuff doesn't tend to come their way. Again, noting that this is hideous, incredible generalisations and massive apologies to everyone. If I had to generalise, if I was absolutely forced to, if you're <laughs> holding a gun let, to my yeah, head... Let, let me force you. <laughs> I'm forcing you to generalise. I would say that in general, men need to be supported more to value... Um, social skills and emotional skills and digging into their own heads a bit. And in general, women need to be supported a bit more to put boundaries down and not to subjugate, not to put other people's needs and feelings ahead of their own, that, that we're, we're not taught to say no and men aren't taught to, um, to value their, their own feelings. But again, this is a massive generalisation. I've met tons of guys who have trouble saying no and I've, I've met women who need to work on their emotional stuff. But yeah, generally speaking, a lot of women say that their struggle is in learning that it's okay for them to say no to things and a lot of men's struggle is learning that it's okay to even express that they're having any sort of emotion at all. Yeah, and I think I've, so I witness a little bit of um, male pattern around just having no idea that they might want to be saying no. Uh, just no, no concept that that's a word that might come out of their mouth one day. Probably the most interesting thing that came out of this book project is I sat down and I talked to a lot of my um, guy friends about their hookups. And a story that came up a lot more often than I would have thought is when they hooked up with someone or they met someone and they didn't want to go through with the sex stuff, but they had absolutely no idea how to say no. So they did it. And I'm going, dude, why say no? Like, don't have sex you don't want to have. That's horrible. Um, but uh, they didn't have any mechanism for getting themselves out of that situation. And I'm sure their partners were completely um, unaware. Um, but they just they didn't want to be there. But they because men are culturally um, raised to to think that they're not allowed to say no to sex at all. Mm. They just did not know how to get out of that. Mm. And I think that's really sad. Like, no one should have to have sex they don't want to have. We should all be able to say no in a perfect world. Yeah. This is my sad face. In my sad face. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So that surprised me. Mm. Whereas, of course, um, you know, talking to my uh, lady and other gendered friends, I hear a lot of stories about having boundaries pushed, but I was surprised by the number of guys I heard saying that they'd gone through with sex they didn't want to. Hey there, listener. I'd like to make a little proposal for you. I love making this podcast for free because it fits in with my overall mission of doing what I can to assist in the areas of sex, relationships, communication, and so forth. Uh, But I could use your help getting the word out. So my proposal to you is that for every 10 or so episodes you listen to, perhaps you could either share an episode with someone you think might get something out of it, or leave us a review unlike Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get this from. Uh, This isn't an actual contract or an agreement, of course, because you didn't get any say in it, Um, but I appreciate you considering it nevertheless. Thanks. What are you scared about in putting this book out? Have there been aspects of it that have been scary? Oh, my goodness. Probably the worst thing is putting the entirety of my sex life out on display. So it goes into a lot of detail about everything from 
all the hookups I've ever had pretty much to how often I masturbate, I'm pretty sure there's something in there. Um, probably the hardest thing for me is to admit that I've fucked up. So part of the book deals with an incident where I sexually assaulted someone. And this happened when I was in my mid-twenties, um, while I was off on holidays with some other people. Um, and it took me a long time to realise what I'd done because I was so ignorant about consent and so ignorant about gender. I was stuck in the gender stereotype. So you didn't, at the time, immediately realise that that could have been regarded as assault? No, I felt like I'd been an asshole. So basically, um, the, my partner was very, very drunk um, and what, and had said no, but I guess I just didn't understand that, that you could push a guy into having sex. And I, I know that sounds ridiculous, but I was, a, as a young person, people had always taught me that men are the sexual predators and women are the victims. Um, and that it was okay for me to be pushy because I was never going to make a dude do something he didn't want to do because that's, it's not possible. But of course it is very possible. And now that I look back, I can see all the distress signs he was making and all the attempts he was making to stop things. And I feel terrible. Um, but I had to learn about consent to really understand what was going on. So a lot of the book talks about um, that particular experience. And I'm very well aware that talking about this means that some people are going to... Um, say that I'm a terrible person and let's be honest if you sexually assault someone that's a fucking terrible thing to do and you have to take responsibility so I'm happy to do that but that's a it's a hard thing to to confess to. I tend to think that um how to say it so I'll just say this like directly as it is for me you have gone up in my esteem for being willing to talk about that stuff um rather than just pretending you're perfect and not a person that does those things. Like, I'm not letting you off the hook for the implications of your behaviour in my mind, but I can see that you're taking oodles of responsibility for it. Um, for me, that's just... Um, mm. Thank you. I think that's amazing. I don't think it's praiseworthy, but I think it's necessary. And I think if we all talked about the times we fucked up, it would really help. Whereas I sort of feel like if we talk about consent and how good we are at it and how good we are at sex, that we're not also allowed to admit the times that we screwed up. And that's a very dangerous place to be because it means that when we do mess up, because everyone messes up, we're going to um, put a lot of effort into covering it up because we don't want people to discover that we're not amazing and, you know, that it was all a lie. And that's sort of bullshit. Everyone fucks up and I think we should all admit to it. As soon as we, we stop trying... Um, we're in the danger zone. As soon as we start thinking we're untouchable, we're in the danger zone. We need to always be alert to how we could be violating the consent of others because it happens really easily. Yeah, everyone fucks up, especially if you are brought up in this sex-negative culture and the way sex education is, is handled in this world and the way we're given so much information around pushiness and coerciveness and rapiness, um, then, yeah, for sure, all of us have fucked up. Can I ask how... How's that played out for you? Like you, you have a fear, understandable, that um, in admitting to that act, um, people are going to think you're a bad person, I think was your words. Like how's that actually playing out in practice? Um, a bunch of people have read your book now and have heard this story. Yeah, no, it hasn't happened. I have a little bit of gender privilege in that I think that as a female appearing person, I I can say things like that and I think, and this is shit, this is sexism, but that people might be a bit more likely to say, oh, good on you for talking about it. Whereas if a guy came out and said that he'd sexually assaulted someone and was trying to speak about it, you, I think you'd, we'd be pretty evenly divided between people saying thanks for talking about it and people saying you should burn in hell. Um, and that's because, you know, a lot of people have had a really traumatic sexual assault experiences and I have too. Um, and, and so, you know, 
we don't like to be confronted with abusers. It's uncomfortable. It reminds us of our experiences. Of course, we're going to direct some angst their way. Um, I would prefer maybe a little bit more angst, to be honest. Like, I just, I just think that everyone who violates the consent of others is equally deserving of angst or, you know, we should all have to deal with it. Um, but I haven't gotten anything bad back yet. The hardest thing is maybe knowing that some of my friends and family who don't know yet will know because, I don't know, it's hard to admit that you've hurt other people. I think it's really brave and I think it's really bold because I think you're using yourself as an example of why the bad way of doing this stuff doesn't work. And I feel like um, if I imagine myself as a reader of your book that's still on the fence about what way is better, um, the way that is potentially a, a pushy, pushy, coercive, manipulative way versus the upfront communicative, might even say daggy way, like it's not the way sexy sex is normally portrayed. Uh, I feel like it's a really generous lend on your part, so I guess I just want to be on record saying thank you for sharing that aspect of your privilege and being willing to speak to that. Thanks. I like, um, you know, it's nice to show the, the change. I reckon anyone that says they popped fully formed out of the womb being an amazing sex expert that's awesome in bed is going to sound a bit like they're full of shit because they are. So it's really important to talk about the fact that we're not perfect and the fact that we're, we, you know, maybe we've done things in the past that were bad or maybe we've had bad sex in the past. And, you know, I still have bad sex now occasionally. So Yeah, we all do. We all do. Um, it's true. It's a good point. And there are a lot of books out there um, by people who lean on the idea that they are a sex god or goddess or whatever and... It doesn't work. None of us are perfect. It's not empowering. It's not empowering. And also it's just unrealistic. Like we're all human beings. We all have crap sex, sometimes a good sex. We're always learning and trying and screwing up. And I think until we all admit that, there's always going to be people that are listening or reading saying, you're full of shit. Like this isn't right. This is never going to work. The only way that people believe is if, if you cop to your stuff. Um, otherwise, it's, it's, you're all sounding a bit mythical and unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, there's, um, it, it could be argued um, that your book is soft on men because I feel like you show quite a lot of compassion and understanding for the plight of men, as you've done in this conversation. Um, have you had much backlash or reaction from that? Not at this point, but I definitely anticipate some. Yay, well, let's just look forward to that. <laughs> I guess the thing, we're talking about this spectrum again, right? So you've got some people in your bottom 10% that are abusers and, and you know, have done terrible things and don't have respect for other people. And then you've got your, you know, your 80% in the middle that are trying really hard to do their best. And then you've got your 10% at the top that have sorted their shit out and they're great. And I can't speak to the 10% at the top because they don't need me. They're doing great. I can't speak to the 10% at the bottom of the, the barrel because they don't give a shit. And they don't care about whether their partner's having a good time. And the only thing that's going to change that is everyone else standing up and saying, no, that is not acceptable. But that's not what my book is for. My book is for the 80% in the middle, the ones that want to have better sex and suspect they could be having better sex and care about the people that they're sleeping with, but just don't know quite how to make it all happen. Um, And to do that, you know, we need to speak to people and speak to their problems without being a dick to them. So I've done my best to not do that. Um, at the same time, there are some things that we have to draw boundaries around. So things like how important it is to treat other people with respect, um, stuff like that that we can't be flexible on. Uh, I, I hope that I've been inflexible in the right spots and, and really made clear what's unacceptable in the right spots. And I also hope that I've got compassion in the right spots. 
but I guess we'll see. Mm. Mm. Uh, I like what sounds like uh, sort of something like optimism in that you're assuming that uh, most of us have got some good within us and that that can be appealed to and that even those of us that are not behaving perfectly in particular moments, oftentimes it's just through a lack of alternative information or ideas on how to do something better. I definitely think that's the case and obviously this whole thing is hideously complicated and there are power dynamics and there is sexism and there are gender stereotypes that mess all this stuff up but universally across the board I think we're all struggling and I think that if you give a lot of people the opportunity to be better that they will take it um, and that's what this is all about. Do you see much difference in how this stuff plays out, so good dating versus bad dating? Do you see much difference between how that plays out in your working sex life versus your personal sex life? Look, there's a, there are a lot of concepts that are really transferable. Um, and one of the things that was really helpful in writing this book was bringing some of the skills across that I use with clients into my private dating life. So the idea of seeing a sex worker is that you contact them and then you have a really clear negotiation about what you're planning. You need to tell them what sort of services you want. You need to arrange a date and time and how long you're going to hang out. And there are really clear emotional boundaries. And all this stuff can... Uh, make the experience really well boundaried and safe and it can also make it really good sex because everyone knows exactly what's going to be involved and everyone is practicing good boundaries. Um, so it actually works quite well and then moving back into the regular dating sphere you really notice the lack of that stuff. You notice the lack of people over drinks before you hook up saying say say what do you, what would you like to get out of this and um, you know what expectations do you have for our relationship moving forward or you know what sort of sex are you into. Um, and it's, it's really nice to be able to take that being comfortable with talking about sex and negotiating across into my dating life. People are a little surprised when you pop the questions over drinks, um, but the sex is always better after you've had those conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's nice. I learned that as a sex worker, I think, um, because if someone's giving you a reasonably decent amount of money to do something, you have a sort of a pressure to um, uh, provide something resembling a good service. And... Getting to that just through guesswork alone is really hit and miss. So I naturally found myself as a sex worker wanting to have far more in the way of conversations before sessions about where the person was at, what they're interested in, what sort of things they like, what sort of things they don't like. And it wasn't very long until the penny dropped for me after that where I'm just like, well, why aren't I approaching dates like that? As well, of course, I am now. <laughs> and you know the other thing too, when you have... 500 bucks or a thousand bucks or 1500 bucks riding on your experience with an escort you're going to treat that person very well and you're going to put a lot of effort into the date and then you move back into regular dating and people are treating you like you're a throwaway because it's casual and it's sort of like well maybe if we invested as much effort and care into our casual sex partners as we do into escorts when we blow 1500 bucks maybe we should be putting that amount of care and effort in um, so it was nice to see how much money changes people's minds around um, whether they should treat their casual sex partners um, carefully and respectfully, mm. um, that maybe that should come across into the real world too. Mm. And maybe um, um, one could set the bar for oneself of uh, next, time, next time you're on a, on a, I'm just talking generally randomly, next time someone's on a date, uh, you can actually assume that you are a sex worker with that level of expectation and pressure and professionalism and also that level of commitment and care about your client and that much desire to 
um, give them the experience they want to have. And, you know, hopefully they'll, uh, they'll learn those lessons and treat you the same way as well. I was going to go the other way, actually, and go next time you go on a Tinder date and you're sitting opposite them. Imagine you've just given them $1,500 for the best sex of your life. At that point, you're not going to tune out, right? I love it. <laughs> this is just great. I might practice that next time, actually. I'd probably get a kick out of it. <laughs> And it also make a good role play um, of uh, just within relationship context. Um, yeah, let's let's pretend we are each other's sex worker. I actually did see a male sex worker recently, and it was really great for all the experiences we've discussed: the communication, the fact that I just spent a lot of money, uh, all those things. So yeah, it works. I saw a sex worker recently as well. I found it an extraordinary experience in terms of the nervousness of the experience on the other side. I partly wanted to go through that to remind myself of what it's like of people that are approaching workshops, which can also be a very scary, threatening kind of a situation. And it was nice to be that nervous, scared person. I think it's easy to forget if you're into sex education or if you do a lot of really out there sexy stuff, um, it's easy to forget that your average person finds sex really bloody terrifying, um, and particularly when there's a lot riding on it. So guys that have been taught that their sexual performance defines how worthy they are as a man, that sort of bullshit um, puts a lot of pressure on things and it can be really nerve-wracking having sex with someone new like like you know shaking like wanting to run away sweating terrified nerve-wracking and that's easy for me to forget because I'm so used to being in sexual situations with work that I get a bit blasé and then occasionally I have to remind myself to treat people a little more gently mm. um, that my experience is not everyone's experience and actually sex is fucking terrifying for the majority of us. Mm. Uh, it's a nice reminder of why many of us have so much, um, shall we say, um, performance anxiety and, and are let down by our own sexual performance um, in the dating and sex scene. When, when Just the way you were describing how, how nervous and tense and stressed out so many of us are so much of the time. I actually had a great conversation with someone the other day about our bodies being our last fail safe. So with regards to not getting wrecked or not getting wet, all that stuff that our bodies are supposed to do when we're turned on, that often if we're super nervous, but we're trying to push through, our bodies will say, no, nah, shutting down, mate, not happening. And that often not getting it up or not, um, not getting wet or not, uh, yeah. not being able to get into it is a sign that you do need to slow down, that you, maybe you're too scared and you need to take a step back and feel a bit safer. Um, so, you know, bodies are good for that stuff. I feel like even when they feel like they're letting us down, often they're actually helping us out. I feel like your body always knows. And if you are not into a situation for some reason, your body will be giving you some kind of a signal around that. And those signals will just get stronger and stronger. As you say, uh, like wetness and erections or whatever whatever ways that a, a body might express itself, that's like a few steps down that path. But before that, there's all these other subtle signals. And um, I feel like almost always the outcome from that is needing to either slow things down or change things or release or relieve an expectation um, and yeah at the risk of sounding like a broken record more communication this is another lesson that i bring across from sex work so we have a saying in the industry trust your gut and it basically means that whatever your body is feeling in the situation your body is always right and you should always go with that if you're feeling unsafe even if you have no valid reason to think that if you're feeling churning in the stomach and you're feeling uneasy just go with it leave if you're feeling like something you want to do might be a little bit too scary and you're getting the shakes or the sweats your body is always right and it's always better to follow your body than to than to push ahead oh nice um sorry 
And, and I will borrow from the world of uh, process-oriented psychology and say your body is your ally and it's trying to talk with you. And instead of hoping that those symptoms go away, uh, bring them in. Bring them into the conversation. Let them be part of one of the contributors to how this sexual experience is going to unfold. Absolutely. And talk about it because talking about it is awesome. Yeah. And on a really crude level, it is often really crude. Like, for instance... Um, um, a, a floppy cock or a dry cunt is often a signal of saying, hey, can we just not focus on fucking so much? How about more other things or more creativity or some kinky shit or more foreplay? Or actually, can we just go back to that uncomfortable conversation we had about politics? It's not necessarily a sign that everything needs to be ground to a halt. Sometimes we just need to find other ways. Yep, and I like your conversation about politics because, yeah, that's killed many a date for me. But usually I get it straight away. Usually I don't get to the bedroom stage and then say, oh, the fact that you're a Trump supporter has actually turned me off and I didn't realise it would, but it has. We don't normally get that far. It turns out I have hard limits and the limit is Trump. Oh, dude, you need to raise the bar a bit if that's your hard limit. <laughs> If you imagine a world where everyone has uh, read your book and taken it on board, what does that world look like? How is it different from this world? Here's what I reckon, and this has influenced a lot from my experiences um, at sex parties and at kink parties, being in a place where we can all say how we're feeling, where if we see someone that we're attracted to, we can just tell them so, knowing that if they're not interested, they will tell us so. And that if you see someone that you like, that you'd like to hook up with, that you can actually make that happen without this awkward back and forwards dance that we need to do in polite society where we're not allowed to say how we're feeling or we're too afraid to ask or we're too afraid to say no. Once you remove all those barriers, it actually becomes really easy to get laid. And this is what people don't realize. They think that this awkward dance of seduction thing is part of the experience when really it doesn't need to be actually just talking and having those skills to talk will get you laid. It really works. So I would love to see a world where everyone has those communication skills. I think it would be safer. Uh, I think that a lot more people would be having a lot more sex and that the sex would also be a lot better. Thank you, Georgie Wolf, for coming in today and thank you for sharing this book with the world. Thanks so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. And that was Georgie Wolf. The book is The Art of the Hookup, and you can actually get the first 50 pages for free. It's just uh, on its way to being published in coming months. Uh, but yeah, in the meanwhile, you can uh, uh, sign up to be notified of when it is published and get the first 50 pages for free at artofthehookup.com. And there's a link to that also in the show notes. Now, I'd like to try something new and just respond to uh, some feedback uh, that came in relating to a previous episode on Curiosity, the intimacy party that I run. Uh, the feedback was essentially a question uh, about whether or not the four people I interviewed were really representative of uh, everyone's experience at Curiosity. Uh, and in short, I guess I would say no. Uh, although I didn't do any selecting of the people I interviewed, uh, it was literally who was available on the day I was recording. Uh, obviously, there's some self-selecting going on just in the process of you know who put their hands up to be interviewed. Um, but I'm okay with that. Um, I think the point that the listener that gave me this uh, feedback uh, is getting at uh, is a really important one, and, and that is that no, curiosity really is not for everyone. 
Um, my strategy around that is that as soon as someone that's interested in curiosity lands on the website, uh, I don't try and send a message that sort of says, hey, this is awesome, you should come along, um, give us your money. Uh, it's actually quite the opposite. Uh, it's much more along the lines of, hey, we're really proud of this event, um, but it's not for everyone, uh, and here are the exact things that we need you to read so that you can decide whether or not it's for you. Uh, so it's much more of a please consider uh, rather than a please buy kind of a process. Um, then if a person does self-select through that process, uh, we, we take an approach that we assume that the world is adults and can you know, make decisions that are right about that. But um, yeah, once a person gets through that process and they're ready to buy a ticket, they still have to answer uh, half a dozen or so questions. And those questions are very much designed to push people away from buying tickets uh, rather than actually pull them towards that process. Um, and finally, I guess, if uh, someone actually makes it all the way through that process and comes along to a workshop, uh, quite a lot of the content is about us as uh, hosts being super clear about exactly what happens at the party uh, and going through some pretty powerful tools to help people to decide whether or not it's right for them. Uh, and if it isn't, uh, we offer a refund uh, on their party ticket uh, with uh, no questions asked. I feel pretty good about this approach. I think, I mean, I always have a background conflict between capitalism and good conduct in the realm of sexuality, because frankly, I think most of the time they are counterposed. Um, but I think, I like to think that the approach we're taking with curiosity is a little reflective of what should happen in good sex. Uh, you should be congruently wanting to be there, and it should be the sort of sex that's right for you. Uh, likewise, with workshops over the years, I've gradually stripped out what you might call the element of surprise in terms of how I describe workshops, and I've replaced uh, with as many specifics and details as I can possibly provide, um, short of kind of boring the reader to death or giving away all of my content. Uh, and while it's something I will always be improving at, uh, I feel like it's working pretty well. Uh, these days I have very few people turning up to workshops or events who get there and sort of realise that on some level they're in the, in the wrong place. So long story short, uh, no, curiosity is not for everyone and not everyone will have the same responses as the folks I interviewed on the last episode, uh, although certainly plenty do. Uh, but yeah, I really want to thank the listener that gave me this feedback or that question uh, for the opportunity to speak to it. Thanks for listening. Bye all. And just a reminder, can you think of anyone that might like to hear this episode? You've probably got a share button right there on your podcast app. It's really easy. Thanks.